Doors. Doors. Doors are the most common mechanical device that we interact with every single day. And every day we use, we interact with doors on a regular basis. It's just part of our life. We're always interacting with doors. Every single one of you has already used this device this morning. I guarantee all of you have probably touched a door already today. Just so far this morning, okay, I have already operated 46 doors. 46 doors. Now, I've operated the same door a couple of times as well, but 46 different times I've operated a door already just today by 10 o'clock in the morning. It's something that we, we interact with every single day. All of us do. And doors are these mechanical devices that take us from one place into another. They're kind of like these these portals that take us from one environment to another, from one zone to another. They're like these, these gateways that take us from one environment and world to a whole different one. And this is true. You see it every single day. When you're in your house inside of these doors, you have a certain set of things that you can do and you, you operate in. And then as soon as you go through this door outside, there's now a whole different set of, of rules, a whole different set of, of ideas. You don't do the same things you do inside your house, outside of your house. In your house, I I don't know some of you guys, but I'm guilty of it sometimes. You just walk around in your underwear, don't you? You're like, I need to go from here to there, and I do not feel like putting on pants, so you just boxer it up right across the house. You do not walk out that front door portal and just go ahead and walk down the street. Not appropriate. We all experience these every day. So you get out of your house just today, probably most of you guys. You operated doors inside your house. You operated a door that left from your house into a new environment. Then you got into a new environment called a car and you drove here. You got out of that environment back out into the outside world. You came through the front doors into our foyer environment and there's an environment there. And then you came into our auditorium and this is a different environment. And every single place you go, these doors are these portals that take us from one environment to another, from one place to another. We operate them every day. I challenge you, if you want to see, so far I've operated 46 today. 47. (laughs) This week, if you'd like to, take a day and count how many times you operate a door. Maybe tomorrow or any time this week. I challenge you, get up in the morning and count how many times you open and close a door. And see how many times it is. I, I would love it for you guys. If, if you guys get a decent number where you're like, whoa, share it on our Facebook so we can see it or send us a message because I'd love to see if some people don't operate tons and tons of doors. You have jobs maybe where you go in and out of stuff. We operate so many of them every single day. Well, obviously, that's the physical sense of it. But what I'm going to be talking about and what we're going to be talking about today is, is doors in relation to something bigger than that. Doors, not only just the physical sense, but we experience doors every single day in our life. And what they are is they are decisions, opportunities, and invites to do things. Every single day there's, there's decisions we have to make. And there's opportunities that we can take or not take. And there's invitations to do things, to accomplish things, to go places. And every single one of those is a door. We come to a place that separates one side of our life to another. And some of these doors are pretty small. When we walk through them, not a lot seems to change. Some doors, when we walk through them, on the other side, our life looks substantially different. They're decisions, opportunities, invites that happen every single day. And we come to doors. Sometimes there's two doors side by side, and we literally get to choose which door do we want to pick. 
Every day we operate doors inside of our spiritual, inside of our, our mental, inside of our social life, inside of this journey that we're on. Because every single one of us, we're on this journey. We're walking through our life towards whatever end there is, and we're operating doors along the way, and it's taking us to new places. It's bringing us to new environments. Every single day we experience this. And some of these doors, like I said, it's not that big of a deal. You go through, it doesn't look that different. Some doors make tremendous changes. Tremendous changes. Some of you guys probably operated doors in the sense already this morning. Perhaps you got up this morning and there was a little bit of an argument, a little bit of sharpness between you and a spouse or you and kids, and there you stood at the door towards retaliation or forgiveness. <laughs> and you have to choose, which door am I going to open? Am I just going to say, yeah, and be quiet? Or am I going to open that door of, you want to start a conversation? Let's start a conversation. Every day we operate these doors in relation to our life. And the reason why this is important is because if we don't recognize this, we can walk through door after door after door in our life without even noticing it. But if we recognize the fact that we're walking through these doors every single day, we have the opportunity to differentiate if this is a door that leads towards something I want to go towards or away from something that I want to go towards. Is this door in proportion to where I am going? It's important. We're going to talk about this for the next few weeks, believe it or not, next three, four weeks about doors, about different directions that we're going in. And my hope is that we understand more about our life and more about the direction in our life. When I was young, can I be completely honest with you, um, I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. I was one of those, um, when, when they started to ask, what do you want to be when you grow up, I was like, the, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And they start asking this question so ridiculously early, don't they? It's like fourth grade. They're like, hey, kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're like, uh, pfft. right? Like, I don't know. And they act if, like, by the time you're in, like, fourth or fifth grade, if you don't know what you want to be when you grow up, you are destined for failure. It's like shame. What do you want to be? I don't know. Oh, Sean didn't know what he wanted to be. I'm worried about him. There's like this fear in regards to, what do you want to be? I don't know. Man, I'm like just old enough to, I don't know, go across the block without my mom yelling at me. I, how am I supposed to know what I want to do with the rest of my life, right? It's crazy this question is asked from so early. And the really bad part is, is there's people who are really, really good at this, and I found them so annoying. Didn't you just hate the people who always knew? I had a cousin, and I couldn't stand because every Christmas it was a different thing. And she was 100% certain of it. What are you going to be when you grow up? I'm going to be a teacher. 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 I'm going to do this, and I'm going to teach, and I'm going to do this, this. Okay, next Christmas. I'm going to be a doctor. I decided teaching wasn't really for me. I'm going to be a doctor. Doctors, this. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. I'm going to go to this college, this, this, this. I mean, this is young, right? Next Christmas. I'm going to be a veterinarian. I decided I really like working with animals more than I like working with people. And, you know, veterinarians don't have quite as much, you know, the school, the liability. I, I think really veterinarian would be cool. I think it would be much more fun. I really like that idea. Yeah, I think I'm going to be a veterinarian. Awesome. Okay. Next Christmas. I'm going to be a lawyer. I decided I really don't like the medical field at all, actually. I like, I like the, the idea of being a lawyer, of, of working in the law. And I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm really sure. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to go here, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Okay, great. Next year. I really think that the lawyer thing, though, that's just really, I'm, I'm actually going to try to be a politician. I was like, perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> You're going to fit in great because um, you don't know what you want to be and you just, but uh, 
I want to be a politician. That's terrific. And I remember it used to annoy me so bad because I was like the one, I don't know what I want to be. And I look like the crazy one. And I'm like, every year you have a new idea. I don't know if I'm the unstable one. I think maybe you are, right? But I remember this thing, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I remember always just being like, I don't know. I mean, finally, when I started giving an answer, um, my first answer was, I want to be a mechanic. And what that came from was my dad was a mechanic. And that's usually pretty common. You look at somebody who you look up to. My dad worked with his hands. He was a mechanic. And I said, I think I want to be a mechanic. I think that's what I want to do. Well, once I got into middle school and high school, I actually decided that I would actually really like to pursue medicine. I wanted to actually become a doctor. Believe it or not, all the way through like the end of middle school up through high school until the very end of high school, I was really dead set on the fact that I was going to go to medical school and I was going to become a doctor. I thought, man, that's it. That's what I want to do. But in real reality, that was just kind of based on the fact that I liked some biology, I liked first aid, I liked doing that. But more than anything else, I liked money, so I thought it was a good venue to be able to get me there. So that was, you know, more so the idea. But to be honest with you, I, I don't think I ever really know. And, and to be completely honest with you, I, I never really knew I wanted to be a pastor. That wasn't even in the, in the, the lineup at first, when we, when we finally started walking through this whole thing. I remember that one time I was talking to a guy at, um, at our shop, and if you don't know, um, actually, believe it or not, I am an engine machinist by trade. I rebuild engines uh, for a living at our family business. Um, and I was there working one day when I was very young, <clears throat> there was a guy working for us named Jim. And Jim was talking to me, and he says, you know, Cameron, when you grow up, do you think you want to just stay here and, you know, keep working here? When you grow up, do you think you want to stay an engine machinist? Do you want to stay a mechanic? And I told him, you know, honestly... Um, I don't know. And I remember Jim looked at me, and it was really interesting. He says, you know what, Cameron? I'm 50 years old, and I don't know. He says, I don't know. He says, I've been doing this my whole life, and he says, to be honest with you, I'm 50 now? He says, I don't know if this is what I want to do with my life. And I remember it shocked me because I figured that everyone who grew up actually figured it out. You know, like they decided, and they're like 100% certain. But I realized that a lot of people even when they get much farther down the road in their life, they really still don't know. They don't really know which direction they want to go. Some things happen, and it kind of took them there, and they, you know, but a lot of times they're like, I don't really know if this is what I want to do. Am I the only one who ever experienced this? Anyone else willing to admit, yeah, I've experienced that, right? When you were younger, or maybe, maybe you are in that age group. We have younger people who are in here. Maybe you're in school, or you're in high school, and you're experiencing this. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be? And you're like, I honestly don't know. I don't, I'm not passionate about anything that looks like a normal job field right now. It doesn't interest me. Maybe you're in college, and you're, you're, you're studying a major, and you still have this feeling, I don't know if this is actually what I want to do with my life. Spending all this money in time studying this, I honestly don't know if this is what I want to do. Good news is a lot of people don't use their actual degrees towards their jobs. So just good for you guys, okay? Or, or maybe you're actually out and you're in the job market after graduating and you think, I don't really know if this is what I want to do. I'm not sure if this is actually the direction I want my life to go down. Maybe actually you're just like Jim. You might be 50 years old. You might be far down the line of saying, I've worked a bunch of different jobs, I've had all stuff, and I honestly still don't know if this is what I want to do with my life. I don't know. The good thing is, is you're in good company. It turns out that this actually is not some sort of rare thing that happens. This is actually very, very common. The average person has three to five different careers in their life. Not jobs, careers. 
Average people have three to five different careers. Most people have between 10 and 12 different jobs inside of those three to five different careers. And I know that some people have much more because there's people who throw out the statistic, like my father, who has literally had one job his entire life. My dad has worked at our family business since he was in seventh grade, and he's now older than 50, and he's worked there his entire life. So they throw off the the average completely. So there's people who've had a lot more. There's a lot of people who've experienced a lot of different things, and they don't know, I I don't really know if this is what I want to do with my life. What's my direction? What way am I going? And you know, honestly, I would say this gets better when we start a relationship with Jesus, for those of you who already have started a relationship with Jesus. But I'll be completely honest with you, sometimes it almost makes it worse. After we start a relationship with Jesus, then this whole conversation begins of not just the idea of what do you want to do with your life. People start saying, what does God want to do with your life? Oh, and then it becomes a whole big thing. Well, I don't know. What what is my calling? What am I called to? Do you have a calling? Have you experienced a calling? Do you know what the Lord's will in your life is? Have you experienced the Lord's will? Are you following the Lord's will? Are you in God's will? Are you out of God's will? Are you inside the Lord's will? Are you living the Lord's will? And people have this big conversation, the Lord's will, the will, the will, and it's intense. Man, it's intense if you're younger. It's intense if you're older. It really doesn't matter what age you are. What's your calling? What's God doing in your life? What's his will for your life? It can almost become overwhelming, to be honest with you. It can become more stressful when we start thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know. What is my purpose here in life? What is my goal here in life? What is God asking me to do if I have started a relationship with Jesus? Not only what do I want to do, what does God want to do in my life? Oh my goodness. And it can feel just so overwhelming as we begin to walk through our lives. Do I have a purpose? Or am I just here? What is that purpose if I do have one? Let me read you a story. All the way back in Jeremiah. If you have a Bible and want to turn there, if not, they'll be up here. Jeremiah was a, uh, a prophet. And that would be Old Testament. For you guys who know a little bit of your Old Testament history, this would be after the whole Moses thing where he came in and he freed the Israelites from Pharaoh. Took them out, they conquered the land, they settled the land, what was called the promised land. They had their kings, man, David and people like that. Then there was a split in the chosen people of God. They became two different tribes, basically, Judah and Israel. And Jeremiah was about that time, and he was a prophet. And what God did at this time, um, God would send his spirit to speak to people specifically, to speak to a nation. And that was Jeremiah's call during this time. And he was coming and he was, he was telling those people, here's what God is saying to you. Yeah, you have the Old Testament, some of this stuff here, like the original books. But here's what God is saying right now, his revealed will, what he wants to say to you. And this came at an interesting time because not only was there these, this whole group of people who were split and dealing with the issue of what they believed with God, but at the exact same time, this nation that he was talking to was in what was called Babylonian captivity or the exile. What happened is God got so fed up with his people not listening to him. He would speak to them and he would try to have a relationship with them and they would constantly turn their back on God that he finally said, you know what, to get your attention, I'm going to have to really, really shock your system. And God said, I'm going to talk to the king Nebuchadnezzar who was a a heathen, not a man who was following God at all. And he says, I'm going to deliberately have him come here and conquer the nation of my people and exile you. That sounds like a crazy strategy, but God says, apparently what I'm doing isn't working. 
I'm going to really shock the system. When, when you were living in comfort and you were doing all this, you wouldn't turn to me. So I'm literally going to have your enemies come and cap, take you captive. All the people who were the richest, all the people who were the most learned, all the people who were, who were the professionals, what the Babylonians did was they exiled all those people. They took them, removed them from the people, and put them in Babylonian captivity inside of their city. And the goal was to get them to forget their faith and lose their dependence on God so that when they came back, and were reintroduced, they would influence the culture to no longer believe in God. This is a pretty harsh time. A pretty harsh time. Kind of a time of, of almost like punishment, but like good punishment. You know, like when you're a parent and you're like, I have to punish them for their own good. God is trying to teach his people something. And Jeremiah comes at this time during the Babylonian captivity. And this is the word that he speaks. I want to read Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. Okay, stop. That's some pretty harsh stuff, right? Anyone else like, oh, I was expecting like 17 months, 7 years, 70 years. Ooh. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Now, here's the deal. You can't read this verse word for word and try to apply it to us. People do that and it's wrong. Um, You're not supposed to do that with the Bible because you can't simply just take a verse out of the Bible and say this applies to me because it doesn't. It's written to a specific group of people at a specific time. What we can do from a piece of the Bible to try to learn something in regards to our life is we can take that and then learn about God's character and how he treats all people. We can compare it to other scripture and we can draw rational conclusions on how God reacts to us. Here's what I want you to see in this. These people were, were really, really not following God. People were really turned away from God. He was his people, but they were rejecting him. And God was sending them into a time of punishment. But what he does is he calls to them and he says, Now listen, I still have a plan. I have a plan. Don't think that you're just going here just by accident and all this and that I'm forgetting about you. He says, It's going to be a long time. It's going to be a generation. But I have a plan. He literally says in uh, verse 11, which is what we're really going to focus on, what I want you to remember, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. At the, at the very, very beginning, I mean, at day one of, of exile, God comes and says, listen, this is a really harsh sentence, but I want to speak a word of hope into your life. I want to speak a word of hope and tell you that your God, the one who led you out of Egypt, has a plan. I have a plan. And this is what we see throughout the story of the Bible. When we look at it from beginning to end, this is not out of God's character. It's right in line with what we see over and over and over again about him, which is this. God, the Lord, is the Lord of a plan. I mean, if we go all the way back to Noah, right? I'm going to flood the earth, Noah. He had a plan for Noah, didn't he? He literally gave him plans on how to build a boat, on what to do. He had a plan involved. 
We jump forward to his people, basically, with Abraham. And he says to this old man, he says, I have a plan for you that you're going to lay with your wife. You're going to have Isaac. And from you is going to come my nation, the people who I'm going to call my people, the Israelites. God had a plan for Abraham. We see that when we get to Moses, man, he meets Moses out in the field in a burning bush, and he says, Moses, I have a plan for you. You're going to go back. You're going to tell Pharaoh. You're going to take the people out of there. Here's boom. This is what you're going to do. These are the three things I'm going to give you that you can do to show this. If not, I'm going to do this. God already had a plan orchestrated. Man, he had a plan when he sent the judges. He had a plan when he sent prophets like Jeremiah. He even had a plan in Jesus. Jesus wasn't some last minute like, "Uh uh-oh, i got to figure something out. Better send Jesus. No, we see from Scripture, it says in Romans 16.25, get this, Now all glory to God who is able to make you strong, just as my good news says. This message about Jesus Christ has revealed his what? Come on, say it. Come on. No, no. It's revealed his what? His plan for you Gentiles. A what? A what? A plan, very good, Jenta. A plan kept secret, secret from the beginning of time. He says, this whole Jesus thing, if you read this, and this is from God's word so we can trust it, he said, this Jesus thing wasn't some last minute like, oh, I need to fix something. He says, this was a plan kept secret from the beginning of time. See, God had a plan. We see that in everything he does with Jeremiah and his people, even when they're being exiled, he says, I have a plan, and my plan is to prosper you, to not harm you. He says to the Gentiles, far long after this, when Jesus came, these people who weren't God's people that then were invited to be part of it, that's you and me. The only reason why we have an opportunity to talk about Jesus is because he opened himself up to not just be for his people, but for all people, us. We're Gentiles. And he said, this was a plan from day one, back in history. It's just been guarded until now, and now you see it, that the Lord that we serve, he's the God of a plan. God is the God of a plan. It means that nothing has ever surprised God. It means that Throughout this whole story, there was never like an accident, and all of a sudden, oops, i got to take care of this. Has it ever just occurred to you that nothing has ever just occurred to God? Nothing has ever just occurred to God because we believe in the fact that he is omniscient, that he is omnipresent. Man, we, we believe that he understands and knows all things, that he has all power, and that's the qualities of who our God is. Nothing's ever just dawned on God. He knew. He had a plan since day one. We serve a God of a plan. And here's where this gets important. Because this plan not only extends towards the, the whole universe, towards the whole earth, it extends down into you. Psalm 139, terrific psalm, written by David, King David. You know the guy who slayed the giant, King David? He wrote this psalm, and in verses 13 through 17, I want to read this. This is David's recollection of his relationship with God and what God had revealed to him. He says this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. 
You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Listen to this. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. You see, David says, man, God was there since moment one. It says that God was the one who was helping knit together who you were in your mother's womb. You know, we can see these kids up here that we just got to dedicate. And we can easily look back just to a time when they were literally just a child inside their mother's womb. And all of us were there at one time. And it says that God was there divinely in that time. Man, knitting together who we were, not only physically, but he was knitting together who we were in our minds. He was the one, to use a newer analogy, who was writing the code for our personality. He was the one who was uploading who we were going to be, what our passions were going to be, what our loves were going to be inside of us. He was the one who was creating us. And it literally says that he laid out every day of your life before the first one even started. You see, we serve a God in the Lord who has a plan. And not only just a macro plan for this entire universe, but the Bible says that he has a plan for your life. That he literally has your days planned out. That he has an idea of where your life is going to start and where your life is going to end. That he has a plan. This means that you are not here by accident. This means that it's not a coincidence that you're here. It means that you're not a coincidence that you're alive. It means the fact that this has been planned, that the reason that you're alive, that you're breathing this air, is because God has a plan for you. Real quick, do you believe that God is wasteful? Would anyone wager to say that our God is wasteful? Then why is he letting you breathe his air? Why is he letting you take up space here in this earth? You know, it says in God's word, David says this, that every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Do you believe you're the one exception of that? I mean, do you believe that, yeah, I understand that's the Bible, and that's what the Bible says everyone is, but I'm the one person that falls outside of that? You're not. It says that each of us, each of us are inside of this plan, that he has a plan for us. It means that you are not a mistake. It means that right now, if you just do a quick check for me, are you breathing? That means that God's plan for your life is not finished. Apparently, the plan has not run its course because if it had, you would no longer be here. That the plan is still being worked out, and if you're here and if you're alive, it's part of this plan. You are not a mistake. And this is what the enemy will try to tell you. He'll try to tell you that you are here by mistake, You were unwanted. Perhaps your parents didn't even care for you. No one had cared for you. Perhaps there's been a whole bunch of mistakes in your past and you think where I'm at is nowhere where I need to be. We can have a conversation about that. We will in the next few weeks. But there can be a temptation the enemy goes to lead to tell you to just say you're just existing because there's nothing special about you and God has no special purpose for you. You look and maybe see somebody like me Not that I'm something special, but because I'm speaking about God's word and you say, I could see maybe how Cameron or someone like that would have a plan for his life, but you know, he's in ministry, not me. No. No, God says that that every person, that there's a plan for their life. 
It doesn't matter whether you're in full-time ministry or whether you're in part-time sales work. It doesn't matter. See, God has a, a plan for your life. And, and here's, here's what I need you guys to get. And it's so simple, but it, it, it's so deep if we can just grasp a hold of it, understanding that we are not here by accident. And here's what it is. I'm here on purpose. I'm here on purpose. You know, we talk about what our purpose is, what our purpose is, what our purpose is. You're here on purpose. Say it with me real quick. Three, two, one. I'm here on purpose. Turn to your neighbor. Tell him, I'm here on purpose. You are not without purpose. If you are alive and if you are experiencing this life, here's what I wholeheartedly believe. There is a door in your life that only you can open. In every single one of our lives, there is a door. There is a door which has been saved for us. It has our name on it, and we are the only one who can turn its handle and open it. That no one else, no matter how hard they struggle and try, can open that door. It is a door that has been reserved for us. It is a door that is part of our plan. It is a door that has been laid out and preordained for us to grasp a hold of and open. And in the meantime, we are walking through those doors every day to achieve and to get towards that door, that plan in our life, that purpose for our life. Every one of you has a door that is waiting for you that is only yours to open. I do not believe that God is wasteful. Therefore, I do not believe that there is anybody born who do not, does not have a purpose, who does not have a door that leads to their divine purpose here on this earth. You all have a door, and it's waiting for you. It's waiting for you to get there. This changes everything about us because we realize then that we are not living by mistake. And people say, well, wait a second, Cameron, I, I understand, you know, but what about all the things that I've done in the past? I've made some mistakes. I've kind of done, yeah, you know what? There's, there's time for that conversation, and we're going to talk about that conversation in the next few weeks. You know, what about, how, how do I know what, where I'm supposed to go? And, and how do I know when I get there that I'm going to be able to find that door? And if I find that door, how do I know I'm going to be able Man, we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about that in the next weeks, about that door. And how do I know that I'm not going to get distracted? And how I know I'm not going to end up... Yeah, we're going to talk about that in these next few weeks. But here's what I need you to understand. And here's what I just need us to start this entire series with. And I believe that it would change everything if we just understood this. I'm here on purpose. I'm here on purpose. You see, because I really believe that most people, even you and me included, we just live our lives day by day by accident. We just go through our lives just to accomplish that day and just to succeed for that day and just to get through that hour and just to get through that minute. But what would change if we actually believed that I'm here on purpose? I mean literally here. I mean this morning that you're alive, I'm here on purpose. I mean when you walk out and there's your kids screaming and you're like, oh man, should we even had these things? <laughs> I'm here on purpose. 
I mean that when you come into this church service, how many people, millions of people around the globe today are walking into a church service and they are so checked out, they're not even listening to what the preacher is saying right now. But that you come in and say, no, today I'm here on purpose. God's going to say something to me. There's a reason why I'm here. This is on purpose. That tomorrow when you go to your job and you think, oh man, I don't want to go here. I don't want to go here. You think, wait a second. I'm here on purpose. Are you saying, Cameron, that you can't leave your job? No, there's conversation to be had about that. We'll talk about that because maybe perhaps that's part of it. Maybe you will leave that job. But today, tomorrow, I can tell you that you're at that job on purpose. Because we serve a God who has a plan. And if we believe that, then that means that today there's a plan. That means that today we're here on purpose. And if we begin to live like this, it would change everything. We would no longer stumble through our days just trying to accomplish enough to be able to lay our head on our pillow and say, okay, we'll see what happens tomorrow. If we woke up every day and said, today, I'm alive, I'm here on purpose. Now, how do I live with purpose today? Man, how do I live with purpose today? When I walk into my job, when I walk into my church, when I walk into my home, I'm here on purpose. If we would simply begin to remind ourselves that every single day, it would change our lives. Because when we walk up to doors, they would no longer just be decided on what might be the best for the next five minutes of our day or for the next few hours of our life, or for the next couple days, it would be a, a real consideration of saying, now wait a second, I'm here on purpose today. And here's two doors that I have to decide between. Perhaps this actually makes a difference. Which door do I need to choose? Because I'm not here by accident. I'm not at this job by accident. I'm in this church by accident. I'm not with these kids by accident. I'm not with this wife or husband by accident. I'm here on purpose which door should I choose? You see, it would change our lives. It would change our church. If all of us began to believe this, I guarantee you this, okay? If I was to just preach this message for five weeks, a lot of the conversations we're going to have about doors would work out on their own. Because you would live with purpose in your life instead of just thinking that you're a nobody. Instead of believing the enemy's lies in your head saying, it doesn't really matter what I do, I'm just living day to day, you'd say, no, I'm here on purpose, this is important. A lot of these things would work out themselves on their own. Not only that, I guarantee you this. I guarantee you, if we all began to live like this, this church would grow like crazy. Because we would begin to walk into our days, we would begin to walk into our relationships believing that we are there on purpose. Our marriages would be stronger. Our families would be stronger. We would be better workers. We would be better friends. That if every situation we walked into, when we come and we sit down with a friend and we talk to him, we say, I'm not just here by accident. Wait a second. I'm here on purpose. Why is God having me sit down with this person right now? Who am I supposed to be to them? And we go home tonight and we're with our spouse or we're with our, our family. I'm here on purpose. Now, what am I supposed to be doing right now? This isn't an accident that I have these few hours with my wife or my husband or my kids. I'm here on purpose. How am I going to use this? How am I going to invest this time? If we would begin to live like this, I don't even know if we'd ever have a problem finding our door to purpose. We'll talk more about this, but I think it would find us. Because we'd begin making wise decisions, wouldn't we? 
We'd begin making wise use of our time, wouldn't we? We serve a God who has a plan. And I'm telling you, I don't know where you sit at today, but you certainly don't sit in any worse place than those who were exiled in Babylon. Those who God had tried to really get their attention, really shake up their lives, and really, really get get a hold of them. And God still came back, and he says this in verse 11. I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good and not for disaster. They're plans to give you a future, to give you a hope. I'm here on purpose. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for your word, which is filled with truth and knowledge. Lord, I thank you so much that you're such a great God. And I thank you that your word reveals that you have a plan for each of our lives and that we should not live just casually thinking that it doesn't matter, but that we would live on purpose. Thank you so much, Jesus. I pray that you would illuminate your word over the next few weeks as we talk about the doors in our life. Pray that you would help us find direction and help us find, man, clear understanding of what you want to say to us, of what you want to say our lives are about. We thank you for being so good. In Jesus' name we pray. I have a challenge for you. I challenge each of you tomorrow morning when you wake up that the first four words out of your mouth are, I'm here on purpose. And remind yourself that at any time that you find yourself in a situation. I'm here on purpose. And begin to see what happens over this next week. We'll come back next week and we'll continue this conversation.